Let's get this show on the road. Commanding you to bow down. I'm on your side. By branding you as a rebel. But you're not. A traitor. This isn't freedom. This is fear. the government. The government is not us. This is the O Files. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dino Files. Episode number 64. Man, it's been, I think I, it's been a two-week delay on this episode. The first week I warned you about, I was going to a wedding. And the second week, I got back in town on Monday evening. Tuesday, I couldn't do anything. And uh, then by Wednesday, I felt it was too late in the week to go through a bunch of news and stuff and then, you know, not have very much material for the next week's show. So, I decided to hold off until now. We got a storm rolling in. I don't know if you can hear that thunder or not. So, hopefully I do not lose power during this. (laughs) That would suck. But it's all good. We got a lot of news today. It's going to be news heavy today. It's going to be mostly, I think, pretty much entirely news today. Just because it's been so long, and there's a lot of interesting shit that has happened. A lot of interesting shit has happened. I've had a lot of people ask. They knew I was going to a wedding. A lot of people have asked how it went. It was very nice. It was a very, very nice wedding. Got to see some people I hadn't seen in a couple of years. So I had a lot of fun doing that. Right now, we need to move on to an interesting article. This from Quillet, written by Claire Lehman, published on the 16th. A college president stands up for academic freedom. From the first paragraph, what happens when university students call on authority figures to censure students or staff at institutions of higher education? At Yale, such students have been awarded prizes. At the University of Missouri, they've been successful in forcing administrators to resign. At Claremont, they were able to force their president to implement a long list of demands that at Evergreen State College, a throng of students were allowed to take control of the campus while harassed faculty sought refuge off campus. At other colleges around America and even on campuses in the UK, Canada, and Australia, university administrators have met illiberal student mobs with a parade of mealy-mouthed platitudes and prostrations. This pattern of weakness has been dismaying for all people who value academic freedom and open inquiry. This week, however, a line has been drawn by David Yeager, president of the uh, president of Philadelphia's University of the Arts, in response to college students uh, calling for the censorship of Camille Pagilla. Uh, Pagilla? I do not know how to pronounce that. One of the most admired humanities scholars in the world. He articulated a full-throated defense of intellectual freedom, showing administrators, uh, administrators of supposedly superior universities what real leadership looks like. This is a very important, uh, important, I think, an interesting article. Uh, 
that was published on Quillet. Not going to read the whole thing because again, Quillet articles can be quite long. But uh, I I want to move on to something that is um sort of a, more of a follow up to the stuff that I talked about on the Fagcast with Bird and Carr. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's come down about Nexium since then. Um, and I'm just gonna go to this. I'm gonna use this Radar Online article that was published on the 19th to cover uh good chunks of it. There's weird stuff with Avenatti that came up um, that I believe may have been related to some of this uh, in a sort of behind-the-scenes way, uh, but that's just my own, you know, opinion, I suppose. Uh, again, from Raider Online. Seagram heiress Claire Bronfman pleads guilty in Nexium sex cult case. Just weeks before they were set to face a jury in the Nexium trial, two high-profile members of the sex cult have decided to plead guilty. I don't like the fact that they keep calling this a sex cult in the media. Like, that's the most interesting side of this, but, or I guess it's, it's not the most interesting side, actually. The most interesting side of the cult is, is the way that it worked. The, they keep calling it a sex cult, but that wasn't the focal point of the cult. Um, it, it wasn't where, what most of their membership was involved in. It was, the, this, is a, this isn't a simple sex cult. There's, there's more to this than just that, and I suppose it's, you know, titillating to call it a sex cult in the media and focus on that aspect, but there's a lot more to this than just that. Um, uh, continuing, uh, on Friday, April 19th, Seagram Liquor Empire heiress Claire Bronfman pleaded guilty to federal charges in her role as a member of the cult's executive board. Co-defendant Kathy Russell, the cult's longtime bookkeeper, also pleaded guilty to the charges, implicating both women in the sex trafficking conspiracy case against the upstate New York self-help group. According to court documents obtained by Radar, Bronfman, 40, pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to conceal and harbor illegal aliens for financial gain. Was that Canadian? Was that uh, Canadian? Canadians? I, I don't know why that would be one of the charges. Uh, and another count of fraudulent use of identification. Bronfman was not charged with sex trafficking in the indictment. The court confirmed to Radar. Yeah, she was a, she, she was just a, she was a billfold for the, the cult. The estimated sentencing guideline for the two counts that she pled guilty to, 21 uh, to 27 months, and the same guidelines estimate uh, had she pled guilty to racketeering. She faces a maximum of 25 years in prison. Before taking the plea deal, a source told Radar, with all the evidence against her, it was a smart move, and the only way to lower her prison sentence. They don't identify this source, by the way. Bronfman and Russell's charge of pleas gives Keith Rainier, the group's spiritual leader, Leaves Keith Rainier, the group's spiritual leader, as the only member left denying the allegations and heading for trial. Uh, their source predicts he will never take a plea, which I agree with, unless it's just before the, uh, the trial. As Radar's reported, leaders of the sex cult are accused of blackmailing and branding female members with the symbol incorporating the initials KR and AM. Uh, I add and AM because they neglected to. Um, earlier this month, former Smallville star Allison Mack pled guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy charges as part of the group. She now faces a maximum of 40 years in prison. Mack's guilty plea came after former co-defendants Nancy and Lauren Salzman pled guilty on their own racketeering charges. So everybody who got swept up in this thing is taking plea deals, basically. Uh, with the exception of... Uh, Mr. Rainier. Jury selection in the trial against Rainier is scheduled to begin on April 22nd. Opening arguments are expected May 7th. That is likely, in my opinion, to get delayed. But I find this whole thing fascinating. This whole Nexium thing is, uh, it's incredible. And I love the story. I really do. From the Atlantic, we all saw it coming, published on the 19th. Joe Biden is running for president. The former vice president has finally decided he's in, and he's announcing in less than a week. Now he just has to finish putting a campaign together. 
from the story. Joe Biden is running. The former vice president will take his candidacy official with a video announcement next Wednesday, according to people familiar with the discussions who have been told about them by top aides. Uh, that would be in two days, as this is being recorded on the 22nd. Seriously, he's actually made a decision. It's taken two years of back and forth. It'll be his third, or depending on how you count, seventh try for white for the White House, and many people thought he wouldn't do it. But the biggest factor reshaping the 2020 Democratic primary field is locking into place. He wants this. He really wants this. He's wanted this since he was first elected to Senate in 1972, and he's decided that he isn't too old, isn't too out of sync with the current energy in the Democratic Party, and certainly wasn't going to be chased out by the women who accused him of making them feel uncomfortable or demeaned because of how he touched them. <laughs> this is God. How do you? Oh man. How do you even do this? I'm surprised he didn't like stop when all that started happening. Cause he's a quitter. Um, this was talked about on a not recent, but not too terribly old episode of, uh, politics, 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 Justin Robert Young show. Um, he's a quitter. He's, he's always kind of been a quitter and Man, I'm, I'm shocked he didn't kind of drop out. Well, he wasn't even in the race. In fact, it's probably good for him that all this came out before he actually announced. Unless there's a lawsuit brought against him, I don't see that stuff mattering. I really don't. Biden's campaign will, at its core, argue that the response to Donald Trump requires an experienced, calm hand to help America take a t- experienced, calm hand right on your fucking shoulder. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Calm hand to help America take a deep breath and figure out a way to get back on track. First, however, the man who would become the oldest president in American history needs to get through a primary, one that's already tracking 18 other candidates, including six senators, two governors, a charismatic Texan wannabe senator, a geek cool Indiana mayor with an impossible to pronounce name, and a guy who no one had ever heard of who's already scored a spot on the debate stage by becoming a mock obsession in weird corners of the internet by talking about universal basic income and robots. <laughs> Take that, Yang gang. The Atlantic doesn't like you. Oh, man. The primary, Biden believes, will be easier than some might think. He sees a clear path down the middle of the party, especially with Bernie Sanders occupying a solid 20% of the progressive base and most of the other candidates fighting for the rest. This is, this is why I think it's definitely possible that Bernie could end up being the candidate. Is because if, if, if Biden gets burned and he drops out like he is wont to do... Bernie Sanders carrying 20%. I mean, how many did Trump had have to carry to take the primary? Because he was up against so many other people. What was it, 30%, 35% that Trump had to carry? It's not that hard when it's split that many different directions, when you have that many other people splitting up that 80%. Oh, man. The announcement comes at a moment when many in the party have become anxious about Sanders' strength, with some beginning to wonder whether Biden might actually be a sure counterweight to stop him from getting the nomination. A Biden spokesperson declined to comment. Biden's announcement video will draw in part on footage shot two weeks ago outside his old family home in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he likes to bring people and tell stories about how his grandfather would sit at the kitchen table talking about making ends meet. The campaign's still making key decisions on what will happen next, including whether to go cute for a launch event by doing it on the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, famous for the training montage from Rocky, Or go for a powerful challenge directed right at Trump by heading to Charlottesville, Virginia, where the president infamously blamed both sides of a neo-Nazi march in August 2017. Oh, man. I am uh, fascinated by this. Biden is, Biden is, I would call him a dark horse, but he's the front runner, right? I mean, him and, it's basically him and Bernie. Warren's trying to stay relevant. And she's not going to be able to do that. She's a laughingstock at this point. She, there's no fucking way she wins a general. No way in hell she wins a general. 
even against Trump. Trump will just hammer her into the fucking ground in general. Um, but I think he might have a hard time with Biden because Biden can make Trump look like a child. I really do think he can. Biden's creepy, but he has that kind of down home sort of sort of feel to him that Trump doesn't. And outside of all of that, he's a, he, he is, as he wants to build himself, he is a calmer voice than Trump. I, I think Biden might actually have a shot in 2020 um, unless he quits. More people come out against him. It gets too hot in the kitchen. He leaves. It's, not, it's happened before. Um, moving on. I want to get this out of the way. Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg put up a piece about sort of the post-Mueller world. And everyone's been talking about Mueller, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I do want to get this out of the way. And I'm just going to go through their points as if they were bulleted. Um, this was published on the 19th as well. Trump's post-Mueller euphoria gives way to anger and recrimination. Uh, they have a section, Fresh Concerns. People close to him hope he realizes that the report isn't crippling and the negative stories were largely in by Monday, but there are fresh concerns that Mueller's revelations could damage his image with moderate swing... They're talking about Trump, by the way. Uh, with moderate swing voters who approve of Trump's handling of the economy but are turned off by his unpredictable, unpresidential style, one White House aide said. Other advisors hope the Democrats overplay their hands, similar to the Republican effort to impeach President Bill Clinton, allowing Trump to continue to portray the investigation as a political vendetta. The people interviewed for this story asked not to be identified because of the sensitivity of the matter. At Palm Beach International Airport Thursday evening, a smiling president greeted supporters, signing MAGA ball caps and telling them thank you many times. He again ignored questions shouted by reporters traveling with him. He golfed with Rush Limbaugh on Friday. <laughs> but the president's irritation grew as he watched coverage of the, of the report Friday morning. He and his allies are particularly angry with the former White House counsel Don McGahn and former Staff Secretary Rob Porter, both of whom spoke extensively with Mueller. McGahn painted a detailed picture of Trump's many attempts to interfere with the, with the investigation, while Porter recounted several unflattering scenes from Trump's presidency. I want to have something stick in your head for here in a minute. Attempts to interfere with the investigation. Remember that. Several advisors wondered whether Trump allies will seek retribution against the two former aides. Potential obstruction. The report chronicled in detail at least 10 instances of potential obstruction of justice including discouragement of cooperation with the government and suggestions of possible future pardons. At times, Trump was stymied by aides who refused to act on his orders. The president's efforts to influence the investigation were mostly unsuccessful, but that is largely because the persons who surrounded the president declined to carry out orders or accede his request, Miller wrote. There was also a sense of relief among White House aides yesterday. The investigation is behind them. The worst-case scenario, the indictment of Trump or members of his family, didn't come to pass. Those who have seen Trump weather many seemingly catastrophic moments suspect he will move past this one as well. There is also optimism voters will make their choice in 2020 based on the strength of the economy and immigration issues rather than the president's personality. The economy is one of the best predictors of the outcomes of elections like that. Uh, rather than the president's personality and a belief that the Mueller report is only a fixation in Washington. Voters have made up their mind, this quote, voters have made up their mind, this is not a vote determinative issue, said Jason Miller, a former Trump campaign spokesman. This is not a driving conversations in homes all around the country. I don't know about that, Mr. Miller. I don't know about that. I, I, I think that there are a lot of people who can be convinced of these um, obstruction attempts. I think there are a lot of people. Uh, but that's just me. Um, I, I think it's downplaying the issue, certainly, to say that this isn't a conversation in homes. across. I'm fucking talking about it. 
People are talking about it all over fucking Twitter. This is definitely a conversation that's happening in the public consciousness. Similar, uh, not similar story, but a related story. This was, I just thought this was kind of funny. This is Reason's Take uh, from 419. Elizabeth Warren demands Trump's impeachment in wake of Mueller report. In the wake of Mueller's report, uh, in the wake, la, 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 I'm going to start that over. In the wake of Mueller, of the Mueller report's release, Senator Elizabeth Warren has called for starting impeachment proceedings against President Donald Trump. In a Friday afternoon Twitter thread, the senator and 2020 presidential contender laid out her case for impeaching Trump, saying that his efforts to obstruct an investigation into Russian election interference necessitated his removal from office. His efforts to ignore a president's repeated efforts, efforts to obstruct an investigation into his own disloyal behavior would inflict great and lasting damage on this country, writes Warren. The severity of this misconduct demands that elected officials in both parties set aside political considerations and do their constitutional duty. This means the House should initiate impeachment proceedings against the President of the United States. The odds that Warren will get her wish seem slim. Demanding Trump's head is nonetheless a good publicity stunt for the Senator's flagging presidential campaign. The latest New Hampshire polls show support for Warren at 8.7%. That puts her behind former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and no opinion. A Monmouth University poll from last week put Warren at 7% among Iowa Democratic voters. The senator is likely hoping that demanding Trump be removed from office via impeachment might make her attempt to unseat him in a presidential election a little easier. There was somebody else on Twitter. I think it was uh, Imran, Imran Omar, uh, Senator Imran Omar, I believe is her name. I can't remember her name now. Um, she tweeted, we need to start impeachment proceedings and investigate whether he obstructed. And it's like, wait a minute. You, you, you have to have the investigation first and then you get to impeach there's no you don't those two you you you, that's out of order (laughs) it made me laugh but uh i i do think this is funny elizabeth warren out here talking about impeachment and stuff and again i say again there's no way in hell this woman wins a general no fucking way she wins a general um she would just be hammered into the freaking ground there's no there's no chance. Um, and if the, if the Democrats are smart, if the DNC is smart, the Democrats generally are smart, they will, they gotta thin the herd. There's too fucking many people up on that stage right now. And it's gotta be, it's gotta be trimmed down. It has to be. Because just like this, you've got Sanders and Biden could take the thing with 20%, 20 or 30%, just like Trump did. The Democrats are making the same mistake the Republicans make. If you're anti-Trump, that is. It's a mistake. If I mean, whatever. Who gives a shit? Maybe. Uh, but they're, they're, they're hurting themselves. I think Sanders doesn't win in general. I think Biden does. I think Biden beats Trump. I think Sanders... Uh, and again, this depends on economics. This depends on a lot of other things. A lot of other shit that has to happen. But... I think Biden wins a general. I think Sanders loses. Warren loses. Everybody up on that stage loses to Trump, with the exception of Biden, uh, which is fascinating. It, and it also depends, like I said, it depends on a lot of things. Sociology matters more than the strength of the candidate. So we'll see how things go. But again, economics is a big deal. Uh, t- war is a problem, too, with Trump. He, he just loves fucking dropping bombs on people. From fire, Florida public universities to adopt Chicago's statement following governor's announcement. This story was published on the 17th. On Monday, 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, surrounded by administrators from institutions across the state, asked Florida State Colleges and Universities to adopt a free speech resolution in the model of the report of the Committee on Freedom of Expression at the University of Chicago, the Chicago State. The Chicago Statement affirms that a university is, quote, committed to free and open inquiry in all matters. It guarantees all members of the university community the broadest possible latitude to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn. Quote, by signing a resolution outlining their commitment to freedom of expression, our state's higher learning institutions can lead the way in promoting open discussions and civil discourse, DeSantis said. The governor's office's new release stated, uh, news release, I'm sorry, stated that all of Florida's 12 public universities and 28 state colleges are expected to support the initiative and adopt a version of the Chicago Statement. Prior to the governor's announcement, the Florida College System Council of Presidents submitted a resolution based on the Chicago Statement to its board of trustees. To date, 60 institutions or faculty bodies across the country have adopted a version of the Chicago State. Before this week's announcement, the faculty senates at Florida's Eckerd College and University of Central Florida had already adopted versions of the Chicago Statement, as well as the Board of Trustees at Stetson University. Additionally, upon the Florida College System's official endorsement, the system would join seven other university systems in the nation that have endorsed the Chicago Statement, including the University of Wisconsin System and the Nevada System of Higher Education. Fire applauds both Governor DeSantis and the institutions that have already taken steps to enact a version of the Chicago Statement. Students and faculty in Florida will benefit greatly when their institutions commit to robust protections for freedom of expression. Couldn't agree more. Moving on, another story from Reason. This is something that keeps getting fucking talked about. Oh, God. Um, and it's not getting any better. Foggy sex trafficking stats pop up in the Bay Area. This is from the May 2019 issue, 2019 issue of Reason, written by Elizabeth Nolan Brown. Did San Francisco really see a 170% spike in human trafficking last year? Many people warned that the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, FOSTA, would endanger the lives of adults who consensually exchange sex for money. Ten months after its passage, CBS San Francisco reported that the city saw a whopping 170% spike in human trafficking, that's in quotes, last year. But there are reasons to be weary of the CBS story and the San Francisco Police Department data it relied on. While ample signs point to negative effects from FOSTA, which made it a federal crime for websites and other online platforms to facilitate prostitution, this probably isn't one of them. What it does illustrate is that increased police attention to the problem doesn't equate to more people helped or justice served. According to a year-end report, SFPD opened 40 sex trafficking investigations in 2017 and around 108 in 2018. There's the 170% spike. But pull back, it's unclear whether FOSTA, which became law on April 11th last year, is really to blame. In 2014, for instance, SFPD opened 80 sex trafficking investigations, double the number from 2017. In 2015, the department either worked on 67 or 169 investigations, depending on which of its sources you consult. That brings us to another important distinction. An investigation means simply that police looked into something and filed a report. It doesn't mean they found forced or underage prostitution, that arrests were made, or that charges were filed. In 2017, just nine investigations were taken to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office for prosecution, and just one of those cases led to an indictment. In 2016, 10 cases were presented to prosecutors, and six led to charges. Last year, city police and prosecutors ramped up efforts to target human trafficking. Additionally, an increase of street-based prostitution in certain neighborhoods, the inevitable result of FOSTA's targeting online uh, advertising platforms, meant increased sex worker visibility. In other words, the level of sex trafficking reported doesn't necessarily map the prevalence. That's in quotes. As Notre Dame Law instructor Alex Frell Levy pointed out on Twitter, indeed, an SFPD spokesperson attributes the spike to, quote, an increase on awareness and reporting, not an increase on underlying rates. Nevertheless, a wealth of anecdotal evidence from, six, uh, from sex workers, police, healthcare providers, and others 
in the Bay Area and beyond suggest bad outcomes from government efforts to close online sex work markets. At an, at an October 2018 meeting of the city's task force on human trafficking, quote, some members shared their perspective on the impact of FOSA, according to the minutes. Quote, an increase in street-based sex work in the, Missouri, in the Mission District has been observed. Members from the police department shared that they have seen a ripple effect after the April 6th closure of Backpage, and that more sites have popped up on the internet. They said the demand for sex work has not changed with the law. Because of fucking course not! Yeah. In August, SFPD formed a sex worker abatement unit. <laughs> Although police have couched recent stings as attempts to stop pimps and traffickers, much of their efforts end up targeting sex workers or their clients. No joke. Quote, arrests have increased dramatically and noticeably as a result of, as a result, sex workers who are victims of violence are intimidated and running from the police. Oh, yeah. It's almost like sex workers themselves have been telling us this for fucking decades. Rachel West of the U.S. Prostitutes Collective told reporters last December. The city passed a law in 2017 clarifying that officers shouldn't arrest sex workers reporting crimes, and a bill stating the same has been introduced at the state level, but with police intent on, quote, abating sex work altogether, these measures likely won't cut it. No kidding. Another from Reason, this one's relatively short, published on the uh, 19th, same author. Making teen vaping a federal crime. And a sign of just how truly topsy-turvy 2019 is, the backer of a bill to make it illegal for anyone under the age of 21 to buy tobacco products is not only a Republican, but one hailing from Kentucky, where tobacco has long been a top crop. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said yesterday, cocaine Mitch, said yesterday that his T21 proposal would cover all tobacco products and e-cigarettes. Quote, for some time I've been hearing from the parents who are seeing an unprecedented spike in vaping among their teenage children, he said. In addition... We all know people who started smoking at a young age and who struggled to quit as adults. Unfortunately, it's reaching epidemic levels around the country. Actually, just the opposite is true about tobacco. In 2016, cigarette smoking among U.S. adults stood at about 15.5%, down from 20.9% a decade or so earlier, and around 42% in the 1960s. Meanwhile, vaping has proven useful at helping people quit more harmful cigarettes, and its popularity among teens may not be ideal, but it prevents them from taking up actual smoking. It's a net win. Unless, of course, you're a tobacco farmer or a politician from a state representing them. Cigarette companies, which also own vaping products and cannabis lines now, will be just fine without the new recruits. It's like, it's people like McConnell's constituents who lose most. Lest there be any doubt about how little big tobacco cares about a raised cigarette smoking age. Uh, this is blocked quote. Tobacco giants ultra, British American tobacco, and e-cigarette maker Juul have all thrown their weight behind raising the minimum buying age. Altria CEO Howard Will, uh, Willard and Juul CEO Kevin Burns have both urged legislation in recent op-eds. Altria started running T21 ads earlier this month in the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and other newspapers. It's not going to affect their bottom lines. And supporting a raised smoking age makes them look good. Win-win. I think Juul definitely supports this because they're the, they're the name. They are the name of teen, teen vaping. Everyone talks about the Juul. I'm sitting here. I've never, never used a Juul. I have another pod system right here. I've gone through two other pod systems, three other pod systems that sucked. Everyone just talks about the Juul, right? So of course they would be behind this. They've got a major PR investment in backing something like this. From here, let's see how I want to do things. Okay, I'll, I'll take these two other stories to the uh, second half of the show. Well, it's probably going to be smaller than uh, half, but... Ultimately, credits will do fine. It's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? 
I'll tell you who I trust. I trust our superior executive producer, Mr. Xerce. I trust producers Absurdist Fool. And of course, Mr. Maxog. All three of these people are wonderful, beautiful supporters of the show at Subscribestar. You can support the show at Subscribestar as well, or you can go to roguefile.com slash donate or alternative internet radio, A-I-R-A-D dot I-O and click on that donate button. You go to either of those places, you'll be met with a variety of ways in which you can support the show, from merch to crypto, all these things. All these wonderful, beautiful things. Um, the merch thing, I think I'm going to change the way I do merch. I don't like Cafe Press. Uh, I think I'm going to change the way that I do stuff. I'll do a little bit of reading on that. Subscribe star, uh, the first payout will be next month. I said on the last show I'm not going to do one this month, and that's because I have some things to figure out. Uh, as far as the subscribe star system works. So the first payout I'm going to request next month. Um, so if you want to support the show, you can hop on, get on there this month, and then early next month, within the first few days of next month, there's going to be a charge. Um, again, XRC, super executive producer, Mr. Max Ogburn, and Mr. Absurdist Fool. You're all wonderful, beautiful people, and I thank you so much for supporting the show that I do here. I'm going to make up this. I missed two weeks. I feel like I have to do something about that. Uh, so I am currently kicking around ways to put out some extra content to try and make up for those two weeks that I missed. Uh, might do another thing that was kind of like the, uh, the books, uh, the book review stuff. Um, it depends. I'll see. I'll see. I, I want to do a deep dive on someone like Godwin or Spooner and make a whole show about that. So Spooner would be fascinating. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to think of something, um, or decide on something. It's not a shortage of ideas. It's a shortage of time and motivation to actually make those things happen. Anyway, thank you to our wonderful producers and super producers. You are all gorgeous, incredible, and wonderful people. From the Epic Times, I do not know what this site is, but this story is just a reprint from the Associated Press. Published on the 20th, Yellow Vest Anger Burns in France, Fueled by a Notre Dame Fire. Uh, The last round of Yellow Vest's uh, riots was pretty interesting. Um, From the story, French Yellow Vest protesters set fires along a march route through Paris on Saturday, April 20th to drive home their message to a government they see as out of touch with the problems of the poor, that rebuilding the fire-ravaged Notre Dame Cathedral isn't the only problem France needs to solve. Like the high-visibility vests the protesters wear, the scattered small fires in Paris appear to be a collective plea to government to look at me, I need help too. Police fired water cannons and sprayed tear gas to try and control radical elements on the margins of a largely peaceful march, one of several actions around Paris and other French cities. The protesters were making the 23rd straight weekend of yellow vest actions against economic uh, inequality and President Emmanuel Macron's government, which they see as favoring the wealthy and big business at the expense of ordinary workers. Protesters see themselves as standing up for beleaguered French workers, students, and retirees who have been battered by high unemployment, high taxes, and shrinking purchasing power. Associated Press reports saw car, motorbikes, and barricades set ablaze around the, uh, the Place de la République Plaza in eastern Paris. The smell of tear gas fired by police mixed with the smoke choking the air. Paris firefighters, who struggled earlier this week to prevent the 12th century Notre Dame from collapsing, quickly responded to extinguish the flames at Saturday's protest. 
One mass protester dressed in black jumped on a Mercedes parked along the march route, slashing its front and back, smashing its front and back windshields. Paris police headquarters said authorities detained 137 people by early afternoon and carried out spot checks on more than 14,000 people trying to enter the capital for Saturday's protests. The tensions focused on a march of several thousand people that started the French at the finance ministry in eastern Paris and to demand lower taxes on workers and retirees and higher taxes on the rich. Another group of about 200, that's a massive oversimplification, but okay, AP. Uh, another group of about 200 people tried to march into the President's Elysee Palace in central Paris, but uh, riot police blocked them at the neoclassical Madeleine Church. Yet another group tried to demonstrate yellow vests mor uh, mourning over the Notre Dame blaze while also keeping up the pressure on Macron. They wanted to march to Notre Dame itself, but were banned by police who set up a large security perimeter around the area. One, one protester carried a huge wooden cross resembling those carried in Good Friday processions as he walked on a nearby Paris embankment. Some 60,000 police officers were mobilized for Saturday's protests across France. The movement is largely peaceful, but extremists have attacked treasure monument shops and banks and clashed with police. Oh, man. Have you guys seen... I didn't want to talk about this. I'm not going to. But have you guys seen the uh, the interesting... Interesting, I think, is the word for it. The redesigns that people are proposing for the Spire. The Notre Dame Spire. Man, some of those things look god-awful. A couple of them look kind of cool. Um, You know, if you can get past applying, you know, modern sort of designed to freaking a landmark, an old as shit landmark. If you can get past the idea of applying modern design standards to something like that or modern design at all, modern architecture, um, some of the designs are kind of cool in like a sort of a fictional way, I think. A lot of them, though, are ugly shit. A lot of them are really ugly. Um, just big glass bullshit everywhere. That's not, that's not there's nothing particularly cool about that to me. This the sort of minimalist, um, everything's glass sort of architecture. I like things that look interesting. I don't like things that are just big flat panels of glass everywhere. But whatever, they, they, they're going to do what they're going to do. I've got no idea. This I thought was very interesting. Um, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, on the 16th, put out a, a a little statement, not really a statement, it's it's kind of a write-up on Julian Assange's, pro, on the Julian Assange situation. Um, the headline, Julian Assange's prosecution is about much more than attempting to hack a password. I'm going to kind of go down to closer to the middle of the story and start there. The Assange indictment arises from conversations, the two, the two being Assange and uh, Manning. The two had about an apparently unsuccessful attempt to access other classified documents. Here's why it seems clear to us that the government's charge of an attempted conspiracy to violate the CFAA is being used as a thin cover for attacking journalism. Uh, the CFAA, by the way, is the, uh, let me see if I can find where, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And it's been, it's, the act itself has been abused a lot. Um, continuing, first, the government spends much of the indictment referencing regular journalistic techniques that are relevant, that are irrelevant to the CFAA claim. The indictment includes the actual elements of the CFAA claim in paragraph 15. Here's an attempt to translate it in plain English. Pursuant to an agreement aimed at giving Assange access to secret government information, Manning gave Assange a scrambled portion of a password that would allow Manning to log into a computer on the, in a way that would hide her identity from the government. Assange's only alleged illegal act was trying to unscramble a portion of that password. If the government wasn't aiming further, it could have stopped there, but it didn't. 
Instead, it included descriptions of normal journalistic practices in the modern age. Using a secure chat service, I do that. Using cloud services to transfer files, I do that. Removing usernames, I do that. And deleting logs to protect the source's identity. I have, a, I have an encrypted email specifically for people to email me to protect themselves if they feel the need to. Like, th- this is all normal-ass shit for anyone who cares about privacy generally. Not, not even just journalists. Anyone who gives a shit about privacy does things like this. And it's included in an indictment against fucking Assange. Oh, man. The government includes in the indictment a cryptic comment by Assange. Quote, curious eyes never run dry in my experience, which it characterizes as encouraging violations of the law. The government's inclusion of these facts, as well as its reference to the Espionage Act, is a strong signal that it believes these other actions should also be viewed as part of a crime. On top of that, they have since the 1990s when the... Uh, when they want to feed the hacker madness narrative, as they have since the 1990s when they wanted to feed the hacker madness narrative, the prosecutors added unnecessary computer allegations to the indictment. The indictment mentions Manning's use of the Linux operating system darkly described as special software to access the computer file. Are you kidding me? I'm sitting here staring at a Raspberry Pi. It's right here. If I were to be indicted on anything like this, they would, they, would, they would call that a special piece of hardware for accessing and storing computer files. It's Linux, you morons! <sighs> special software to access the computer file. That contained the password. It describes the use of a secure... Uh, it describes the use of a secure online chat service called Jabber. It even includes the fact that Manning used a, quote, special folder in WikiLeaks' cloud-based file transfer system. These facts are completely irrelevant to a single CFAA claim, but they, along with the Justice Department's press release headline, Trump and Assange's hacking, appeared aimed at linking and even equating journalism and the use of normal technical tools with the underlying crime. Maxo in the chat says it won't be legal for long. I don't, I, I, I here's the thing. Um, if I were an accelerationist, which I skate sort of close to accelerationism sometimes, but if I were an accelerationist, I would absolutely want them to try and outlaw encryption, generally. I would want them to try to outlaw VPNs, uh, encrypted private chat services, things like Signal, um, all of that. I would want them to try and do that. Because if you want a guaranteed way to get an encrypted peer-to-peer network to replace the internet, it's if the government tries to outlaw encryption. Um, And to be honest with you, I... I don't know. I want the encrypted peer-to-peer internet more than I want the government to do a good thing. Because the governments do... Governments don't do good things. We know this. So, frankly, man, I mean, I, I agree with you, Max. So I, I think they will go after encryption. I think they will. And you know what? I'm kind of down for it. Because as soon as they do, we've got an encrypted peer-to-peer internet. Bam. It'll be... It'll, be, it'll take a fucking week. To fit to, because it's all, everything that we need is already there. This is already being built out. I try to follow this, and you all know this. I try to follow the, the kind of, the, the sort of disparate parts of the encrypted peer-to-peer net that can be connected or conceivably be connected to create the exact same internet that we have now, except on a peer-to-peer um, uh, encrypted standard. You know, you see these disparate things popping up. This this is a browser that supports displaying peer-to-peer encrypted content. This is a this is a chat network that's you know encrypted. This is the, the you know all these other things. I I it's happening. Max says they're putting that shit on a high-profile indictment to set the stage. Uh, you know what? 
that's that is a good theory. That is a very good theory. I agree with that. I, I, it would not surprise me at all if that were the case. Um, man, it would take them. I, I swear, it would take it would take the crypto anarchists and the privacy advocates like a week and a half to figure out how to connect these fucking programs. As soon as the government puts, as soon as there's legislation in the house for outlawing encryption, actually, they might not have. They might not even have to do it via legislation. Theoretically, the FCC could get involved. And that would be even worse. That would be like, yeah, I just want the, I just want the encrypted peer-to-peer web yesterday is when I want that. And I do agree completely, Maxo. They're going to go after encryption. They just have to find the right route. They, they need the right bad thing to happen because the bad, it wasn't bad enough when it wasn't bad enough when they, when Apple refused to unlock, I believe it was the San Bernardino shooter's phone. Um, it wasn't bad enough then, so it'll be interesting, but I don't know. I agree. I think it's coming. Um, Max says it was done for the Federal Reserve Act, Marijuana Stamp Act, Patriot Act. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a great theory. I subscribe to it. I think it's probably, you're probably right. Um, second, President Trump himself has blurred the distinction between what WikiLeaks is accused of here and mainstream journalism. In an interview mu- uh, just after the arrest, Trump received a lot of scorn for saying that he did not know much about WikiLeaks, an obvious lie. But what he said next should also be raising concerns about Trump's view of the legality of normal journalistic practices. Quote, I guess the concept is perhaps Assange is a reporter type and, you know, the New York Times is doing the same thing, maybe, and the Washington Post maybe the same thing. Oh, God damn it. He sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> God damn it. Trump has made no secret of his hatred for these outlets and desire to create more liability for journalists, revealing facts and news he doesn't like to the public. His words here should give journalists pause. Third, legally speaking, the claim in the indictment itself seems very small. The underlying act Assange is accused of, a single failed attempt to figure out a password, was not even important enough to be included in the formal CFAA charges leveled against Manning, even though it was known to the prosecutors and reported about long ago. The government made its CFAA case against Manning on her separate use of an unauthorized program, WGET, to actually access other materials she provided to WikiLeaks in violation of the government's terms of use. For separate reasons, this was not a legitimate use of the CFAA, as EFF argued in its amicus brief in support of Manning. The misapplication of the CFAA to Manning is actually still pending on the appeal of Manning's case, which continues despite the the commutation of her sentence. In the prosecutor's desperation to find something, anything, to charge Assange, the U.S. government had to reach beyond the acts it used to court Marshal Manning into something that actually didn't happen. While attempted violations of the CFAA are illegal, as with many other crimes, it's still a remarkably small potatoes violation, with no apparent harm. It's difficult to imagine that any U.S. attorney's office would even investigate, much less impanel a grand jury and demand extradition for an attempted, unsuccessful effort to unscramble a single password if it wasn't being done to punish the later publication of other materials. From where we sit, this prosecution feels sadly familiar. Just a few years ago, this same statute was used by federal prosecutors to find something, anything, they could use to charge our friend Aaron Schwartz. Schwartz angered the government first by downloading a bunch of judicial documents from the PACER system and later by downloading scientific journal articles from JSTOR. The government then continued the JSTOR prosecution even even when JSTOR, the alleged victim, asked them to stop. Facing the CFAA's draconian penalties, Schwartz took his own life. Remember that story? Yeah. That's, uh, that happened. I forget it. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. That's fucking horrific. Um, from these and other CFAA prosecutions we've tracked over the last, over the, at least the past 20 years, 
It's nearly impossible to weigh the relatively narrow charge used to arrest Assange without considering the nearly decade-long effort by the U.S. government to find a way to punish WikiLeaks for publishing information vital to the public interest. Anyone concerned about press freedom should be concerned about this application of the CF. So, that's the, that's, if you, weren't, if you weren't aware of why Assange was able to be arrested twice, he was arrested once uh, by the UK and he was arrested again by the United States, if you weren't aware of why all that happened, now you know, and now you know kind of the plan. Um, I think keep an eye out for what Maxwell pointed out, talking more about encryption, talking more about uh, all that stuff so they can try to make it... Uh, illegal or impose. I think what they're going to go for first, and I think Maxo's correct, and, and this, I think, is where it kind of leads. I think they're going to go first for sort of villain, uh, villainizing, demonizing the use of encrypted services, VPNs, things that, you know, privacy people are concerned about. Um, use of those things make them sort of socially unacceptable, kind of in the way that that people view uh i don't know in the way that people i mean already react when you say you don't like the tsa well what do you have to hide right i i I wouldn't be surprised if that is coming down the pipe i think do look out for legislation about uh if not legislation I, i really think that the i think the best route for the government itself to take would be to use the fcc to somehow uh try and hurt the use of encryption make it difficult make it a pain in the ass, things like that. Because I think they could do that. I really do think they could do that. I'm not sure how they would, how they would justify it, but I think they can do it. Well, in any case, that's the last story that I had for today. Um, yeah, went 50 minutes on all news. That's what happens when you miss a week or two. Again, I'm thinking about ways to make up for the last two weeks that I missed uh, extra content that I might be able to put out. Um, if you have any, uh, if you have any ideas or any any uh, suggestions, opinions, whatever, uh, drop them in the Discord. Uh, the Discord, there's a link for the Discord at roguefile.com. You can find it, it's right there at the top. Uh, those of you who are already in the Discord, hit me up. Uh, you know, put it in the, uh, put it in one of the discussion things so we can talk about it and, and, and people can air, air what they think would be a good uh, sort of special episode to do. Um, I like doing them in the format. Of the other specials, Max is a spoon over Godwin. I, I tend to agree. Um, but yeah, sort of in the vein of the other special episodes, I like, the, I like that format. I like the way those came out. I really enjoyed making them. Um, it was a lot of work, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, so something like that, and you know, maybe, maybe drop a book suggestion or something. If it doesn't make it into this one, who knows? It, it, it'll, it might come up later. Um, so thank you all so much for listening, and... Uh, Y'all have a great week. I want to thank everybody who hung out in the chat and kept me on my toes during this recording. You can do that every week. A-I-R-A-D dot I-O slash live. I want to thank everybody who listens to the show, everybody who downloads the show, everybody who rates us and gives us a review on whatever platform you listen on. I want to thank the producers, all you glorious and magnanimous people who support this show. You can do that on A-I-R-A-D dot I-O or on the Rogue File, roguefile.com slash donate. Uh, you can find the things that I write on the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at Dean O Files. You can find the network on Twitter at Alt Net Radio. Go ahead and give us a follow. 
there. I love every single one of you glorious freaks, and I will be back with you next week. Y'all have a great week. This has been an alternative internet radio production. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io. That's AIRAD.io.